Welcome to The Other Web. Our guest today is Kofi Annan, not the one that led the UN for eight years, I was confused too at first, but a brand strategist who worked for Ogilvy, Saatchi and & Saatchi, and dozens of amazing brands around the world. Hopefully, Kofi can help us understand the voodoo that is branding, or at the very least, tell us what we've been doing wrong all this time. Hi, Kofi. Welcome to the show. Great to meet you, Alex. Uh, thanks for having me. Very excited to have this conversation. Great to meet you as well. So you're a brand strategist. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's it's one of those uh, things that you hear of a lot. A lot of people call themselves that. And, you know, yes, my, my mother doesn't even really understand exactly what that means. <laughs> but in short, what it means is that, you know, when companies or brands, so whether it be a product or organization itself, is struggling in the market either to launch a product or to grow a product or they're trying to enter a new market, a lot of times it's not really about the product, right? It's about how you're engaging, what are the strategies, how are you, who are you engaging, how are you engaging them, how often, all those kinds of nuances. And that's usually where I come in, right? So I come in and I say, okay, well, what are you trying to do? Who is your brand? Like, what do you, what do you stand for? And then how does that relate to the markets and the audiences that you're trying to engage? So that's pretty much what it is. So on a day-to-day um, uh, level, it's a lot of meetings, a lot of you know um, probing questions, like asking people to kind of um, self-reflect both the clients that I work with, but then also you know anyone else that might be in the audience um, that they're trying to reach or stakeholders, those kinds of things. Um, and ultimately, the goal is, as I mentioned, to really make sure there's an um, alignment between the company and the market that is trying to enter. And then, you know, obviously the social media and all that kind of stuff that comes out of it. Yeah, so I think most people, when I ask them, what is a brand? They will say something about the name, about the logo, the colors, but you're talking about what the company stands for. Can you elaborate? Sure, of course. Yeah. And and that's a com- common, common misconception um, that, when you think of a brand, you think of, like you said, a name, the logo, you know, Nike, just do it, you know, like those kinds of things. And those are all valid, right? So that's all the representation of the brand outside in the world, right? So if you want to point to, you know, popular one, Nike, right? You want to point, you know, just do it, you know, the Nike, Nike logo. But really a brand and those things really stand for more than that, right? So if you think of, you know, again, uh, cliche, but Nike, just do it. Yes, it's a tagline. But it goes beyond that, right? It introduces you to what the brand stands for, which is athleticism, you know, um, stamina, focus, like all those things that you really can't, you know, probably quantify or or verbally um, communicate. Those are all quantified in that tagline. But really, what the brand is, it's all those things behind it. And a lot of times, most brands that stand out in the market and really have an impact both on their audiences, both from stakeholders and a consumer perspective are those that tap into those those feelings, that audience's point of view, their worldview, those kinds of things. And that really is what a brand is. So if you have a tech startup of some kind, mm-hmm. what is the right stage to try to start thinking about shaping a brand? Because when I observe Silicon Valley, for the most part, it seems like companies only do that when they have so much money, they don't know what else to do with it. <laughs> but the first several rounds, it's mostly just, the nerds are cranking out products. Mm-hmm. The salespeople are trying to get people to sign up. And the brand is whatever the group of customers you happen to accumulate is. And then at some point, consultants come in, look at those people, and try to name that group and say, that's mm-hmm. our brand. 
what is the right approach? Um, yeah, so you're, you're right. That, that is a, an approach that a lot of people take, um, especially as you talk about um, SaaS and Silicon Valley. I used to live in San Francisco. I just moved from there. So I'm very familiar with, you know, kind of like the, that, um, that workflow, as you, as you mentioned. Um, there's nothing wrong with that, you know, and it depends on resources, time, resources, expertise, right? You could certainly start a company that way right? Especially if you're a tech founder, you know, you understand the technology, you understand the product, you, you know, it's probably come from a need that you had maybe in a past life or so. So, so you're essentially creating a product for yourself and the people that are close to you, right? And for that, you could, you could have some traction, you could get some engagement and some probably early users that way. Really where you really want to, to start looking at your brand is as you're trying to really look at product market fit. Right. So going beyond yourself, your friends and, you know, just a couple of people that you that you um, that you're engaging with. Something as simple as if you're going into think of it this way, if you're going into a networking event. Right. And you're going there to even find, find a co-founder or um, get investments, get uh, get some folks to understand um, what your what your product is. That's when you really have to start thinking about what is the brand that you're trying to communicate. Right. Like, what am I about? What, what is the product? What is the problem it solves? And that's really functional. But how do I encapsulate that in a one-liner, right? And that's all part of starting to build your brand. So it can start as early as, you know, your, your elevator pitch, right? So that's kind of something that you lead with and you kind of have a story behind it. Some, it might be a personal story or, you know, a product um, story. So that starts to the building blocks of a brand. And you could def- definitely have someone like myself come in at that stage, Someone like myself could also help in crafting that, taking all those, again, technical founders, not necessarily the folks that know how to tell stories, <laughs> you know, whether particularly within the business context, whether it be to an investor or a, or a user. So, you know, you want someone like myself to ask you the, the key questions and help you shape that into a narrative, some kind of a story that you could tell succinctly that helps people quickly understand what you're trying to do in the market, what your product's about. And that's most times if you're looking for investors. You know, how are you shaping the story around your investor deck, like those kinds of things. And and again, people don't think of that as brand building, but really it is, right? Because those stories that how you shape those stories and how you tell the tell the um, story about why your product matters to those early people become the building blocks of how you tell it to a broader market. And it changes over time, right? You know, no, there's no brand, there's no product. There's no company that is stagnant, certainly not in the in this day and age where everyone's, you know, things are changing so quickly. So, you know, you start somewhere and it evolves over time. Nike wasn't what it is now. The story didn't, you know, wasn't what it is. Same thing with Apple, same thing with even a company like Slack, right? What it is, what it how they told their story about their value way back when, when they were just like really a messaging <laughs> tool, really, really has evolved now that they're part of Salesforce, for instance. So at all those points of brand uh, strategies comes in, comes in. So I want to use some of the examples you mentioned because I'm still trying to wrap my head around Nike, let's say, mm-hmm. and their brand is athleticism, stamina, all those things that you said. It doesn't seem like that is either the problem or the solution, right? It's not their elevator pitch. It's not the one-liner. It seems like it's the feeling that they want to evoke in people. But everything else is sort of unrelated to that almost. Like their problem is 
it's hard to find good quality footwear or something mm-hmm. like that. The yeah. solution is they can manufacture it really cheaply in Asia, um, but their quality control is relatively good. And so you can trust that if you bought it, it probably doesn't suck, right? It's not that they give you stamina or athleticism, right? Um, it actually is, <laughs> right? And and that's kind of the, the secret sauce of brands, right? You know, these large brands, like they, Nike's not going to come tell you and that, you know, it's about that because it's, that's not sexy really. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, Nike makes you jump higher, you know, uh, Air Max makes you jump higher. Right. So that resonates with folks, but really, mm-hmm. if you really, and I, I do a lot of this kind of talking to the brand, but then also talking to the customer, right. As an individual, you're not going to say I buy Nikes because I want to be, you know, I want to run faster per se, unless you're a runner, right? Um, but really, you buy the shoe because it looks good or, you know, it fits well. It, it feels, some a, a, a customer I say, it fits well on my shoe and it, it feels good when I'm running, right? So that sounds like very um, functional, like you said, right? You know, I buy it because it's a good shoe. But really, if you have the conversation with a runner, which actually I was just buying um, uh, hiking shoes last November, and I went to REI and we were looking for different brands, you know, and there's a new brand called On Cloud, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's like all the rage. It's, a, it's the new all birds, as you say, as they say. Um, so we're looking at it and there's certainly this, this um, all birds, there's On Brand, On Cloud, there's Nikes, there's New Balance, a lot of different choices. Um, and my wife was trying different ones. And a runner, someone who's a runner, older gentleman came in, he's like, oh, those fit really nicely, right? Okay, functional, right? Be like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, great. So as my wife and him, and I, I just observed because that's what I do, right? To see how those interactions happen, you know, the conversation got into, well, she asked, why is it, why do you think it's comfortable? He's like, well, I'm a runner. I own about 30 of those. That's a lot of shoes. <laughs> um, you know, I go through them and he started breaking down the features of functionality, you know, like the the bottoms are soft and it did it. And ultimately where, where he ended up and where the conversation ends up was that, it feels so, it feels like you're running on clouds and it's the best feeling, right? So yes, it's comfortable. Sure. It fits well. The colors are nice. Yes. Features and functionality, but really you want something in the, in my wife's case, we were going hiking in, um, we're going walking, doing a lot of walking in Thailand. She wanted something that made her feel like she's running. She's walking on air. Right. Right. That is, that is what the, that is what, separates that brand from like say you know a new balance that that she might have considered where oh no that one it's good but if it's that's also good but it doesn't make you feel like you're running on air or walking on air right so again that's those are the nuances that um most of us don't really think through but it does play play a large part in the brands and the products that we decide on and that we actually you know, buy, meaning invest in, whether it be time, effort, money. Right. So if we have entrepreneurs listening to us right now, Mm -hmm. they want to start a company. Mm -hmm. And obviously early on, they cannot afford somebody to help them craft this kind of message. Mm -hmm. It's like you're running on clouds, right? What can they do? Is there a process they can follow to try to at least maximize the chances that they might come up with a message like this? as opposed to just the functional stuff? Um, yes. One of the, the, the big things that you could do, one of the first things you could do 
is look at what is the problem you're trying to solve. And I think that's closer to a lot of um, where most founders and entrepreneurs would like would um, would start to understand, right? So what is the problem you're trying to solve, right? What are the other competitors, right? Because you can kind of look at that. And then start have, having those questions, asking those questions about, okay, what is the problem you're trying to solve? How do people use my product, right? And how do, how do people live without my product, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the more you talk about those kinds of things, the more you get into the nuances of your features and functionality, but then turn it in, turn it inward. Why are you, the same things investors would ask, right? Why do you think you have the answer? Mm-hmm. Right. And it's a lot of intros- introspection. And the simplest thing to do is take a voice recorder and like literally or, you know, put a voice recorder on the table, have someone that's close to you, you know, whether it be a spouse or a friend, a family friend or whatever. Have that conversation, like I mentioned, that my wife was having with that other gentleman. Just have a conversation with, you know, no holds barred. Just have a conversation with somebody about your product. What are you trying to do? Why are you all those kinds of things? And nine times out of 10, if you go back to that recording, you'll hear things that you're saying about your product mm-hmm. that, you know, from a, um, that conscious, subconsciously you've always known that you felt, but you don't, you haven't really been able to articulate. So it really is about conversations, you know, like have a conversation, explain, as they say, even when you're pitching your product, ex- explain to me what your product is. Right. And then you might stumble, you might do some things like that. But again, that's where, just a simple tape recorder comes in, you know, a voice notes or whatever, tape it and then go back and listen to yourself. And you're like, oh, okay, X, Y, and Z. Now a more high tech way. And one of the ways that I, I work with a lot of folks to make that even um, uh, less painful <laughs> is to run that, to run that uh, tape or to run that um, recording through some kind of AI transcript. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. You know, the, the one that everybody knows, chat GPT, right? So if you take that mm-hmm. same AI record, that, that same conversation, you'd upload it to uh, chat GPT, you get the transcript of this chat GPT and ask it the questions like, why would, you know, some, something simple, why is this product good? Chat GPT will start pulling those nuggets out, even if it's an hour. Mm-hmm. So again, that's that's way of doing it both in more kind of lower budget, I guess you could say, you know, but then more, but just as effective. And these are tools, obviously, Almost everyone has it at their hands right now. Right. And assuming that the person doing this is the founder, mm-hmm. there's always the chance that the founder will then become the brand to some extent because his mm-hmm. personality is injected into the answer. And it works for some founders, like Steve Jobs is a perfect example of somebody for whom it does work. And it obviously doesn't work for some other founders because they're more introverted. They don't want to be the brand mm-hmm. or maybe they're not as charismatic. So if they were the brand, it wouldn't work that well. Is there a right balance to strike between the brand becoming the personality of the person behind it or no? Um, there, there is, and, and it, it is a personal one. To your point, um, I, years ago, I managed a um, team of web, de- web developers at an uh, advertising agency called, agency called Sachi and Sachi. And, you know, I started up, I came up in, des- in design and development myself. So, you know, like we were literally in the back room <laughs> with the lights off and it's like all the creatives and all the account folks were outside and they came, they only entered that room if they were really like wanted, like, like really deep conversations about technology. Anyway, so there were about six of us in that room and we really, most of us, again, six, six of us in that room, 
out of them, I was the only one who bought, cared to talk to anyone, right? Again, this is their product. They're creating products there. They, they really have the eyes. And so most of them didn't want to have that conversation, which again, a lot of tech, um, tech founders, they don't want to have that conversation. They don't want to be the face of, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. You do though have to find a way to trans, again, transfer that, the, what, you're, what you're thinking to someone else or some other system to get it out for you. In the case of the um, where I was at Sachi Asachi, I was just a natural person who liked to talk to people, right? You know, I like code and, you know, all that kind of stuff, but I'm not, I'm not in love with it, right? <laughs> Hence where I am, right? I'm not in love with it. So I would always, you know, whatever we're building internally, I'd go outside and talk, hey, this is what we're taking, you know, kind of talk it up. So I became, for them, for, for that um, development team, that channel where they'd say, Kofi, you know, this is not working. We're trying to build this. We need more time, you know, whatever that is. And I'd say, okay, great. You know, let's we sit down, literally have a conversation. As I mentioned, we sit down, have a conversation, you know, kind of like counseling, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, hey, you know, why do you feel this code is not working? What do you think? It's, it's a negotiation and, and there's a skill to that. And then I'll take everything that's out of that conversation and then translate it out. So a, a founder, if they, again, if they don't nece- if they're not necessarily looking to be the face of the product, they do have to find a way to, com- again, to communicate that, whether it be through another person or at least put it down on paper, put it on your website, some kinds of ways. I will say though, that the products that gain the most momentum are products that are, especially early on, are products that have an association to a founder. The founder doesn't necessarily have to be charismatic and everything like that. But at the end of the day, we're, te- we're in a technology world, but people like people, <laughs> right? And, and a lot of the startups that I work with, <laughs> that's one of the things that I have to struggle with, with folks a lot with. I said, you kind of have, you, you have put a picture of your face on your website. I know it seems very like, no, the product should speak for yourselves. That's not the world we live in, <laughs> Right. People want to see a face. People want to see that there's there are people behind it. And it's not just a no-name, you know, product that's there to collect their information and, you know, do something nefarious with it. So, you know, communicate that to somebody else. Let them bring that that story out or like commu- um, let them communicate it. And then really you someone's face needs to be there somewhere. Right. Well, I guess there are exceptions to everything. I can think of WhatsApp where the founder gave one interview in his life and that was after he sold the company. But Mm -hmm. I I can see that being a reasonable rule to follow. Yeah. I mean, I I would I would argue that, um, yes. So the the founder gave one interview to your point, like the 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 product was so was so good. Um, I'm not as familiar with the team. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times there are people within the team, whether it be sales, someone in sales, you know, someone in UX, user experience. There is someone who is a communicator that mm-hmm. is crafting the narrative in any of the channels. Like, so whether it be on the website or is guiding the narrative beyond just the technology. You know, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. WhatsApp is, I mean, it's a messaging app. We, there's like a billion of them, right? <laughs> But what separates it is the decisions that they made about where to emphasize. And then that also, again, comes from conversations that someone internally had with someone externally. Okay, so switching gears a little bit, you mentioned ChatGPT, and I'm curious, to what extent does AI or recent development affect your field? What is changing and where is it all going? Um, it, it, 
I I wish I could I had a crystal ball to say where it's all going. <laughs> if that I will if if I did, I definitely would be running the UN and <laughs> doing a lot of bigger things. But um I will say where um what's happening, I guess I could say. Um within my field, you know, take marketing, brand, brand building, and even sales, you know, because there's a correlation there. There's a big efficiency play, right? A lot of folks now are looking at the efficiency, which is how easily can I can I do some of the things that are mundane, laborious, that's really a waste, a waste of my time? For instance, some years ago, I worked with Party City, which is kind of like the big party. You know, they had a lot of stores in the U.S. Um, all over before. I think they still do. But then they had an uh, online presence as well. So if you need Valentine's Day, you know, decorations, they were the place. To, they are the place to go. There was a time, you know, when I worked with them, they were looking to digitize. They, had, they were a retail store, right? So they, you know, people went in, they bought the decorations and that's it. But they wanted to really um, amp up their e-commerce presence, right? And make that a little bit more uh, self-serve. So where I came in, myself and my team, was in digitizing all the SKUs that they had. So you think Party City, <laughs> right? I mean, you're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of SKUs, everything from, you know, St. Patrick's Day to Valentine's Day, you know, small cups, thousands and thousands of SKUs. We literally had in there, in the at the headquarters, a warehouse that was set up with all the, the SKUs, you know, the products. And we worked probably about six or seven months to essentially digitize those SKUs, right? Now, there were, they were, there, there were records of them for the retail stores because they shipped and, you know, all those kinds of things. But there was no way to transfer those records of all those thousands and millions of products and enable an e-commerce um, interaction. So it was probably about a team of four of us, you know, designers, you know, uh, strategists like myself that actually had to go in and physically <laughs> go through every aisle in that store and take each individual item, physically write it down, you know, do that whole process digitize it, you know, get it into the um, into some kind of database, some kind of uh, uh, Excel spreadsheet, pivot tables, crazy, right? And then, tr- so we had a, a record of all the, the SKUs and you're talking about color, size, you know, I can't even, you can imagine. So very, again, you can think of think of it very, very labor, laborious, physically, manually going through all of that. And then once we went through that process, then we had to now figure out how it's going to integrate into, you know, at that time, we, we didn't really have Shopify. So, right? so you had like really rudimentary uh, uh, technology for, from e commerce perspective. So, I, I say that to say that that was, that was a process before. Had we had AI, right, and machine learning, really, we could have gone, if we had to, just scan. Just one person could have gone besides five or six people going in physically. One person could go scan all the SKUs in much less time. It would have been able to digitize that and really even understand the product categories, right? And categorize that, those. And then, of, of course, be able to leverage that to integrate into any of the, the, the platforms now, which are all getting AI built in, that are able to read and uh, recognize um, SKUs and product descriptions and everything like that. Probably would have been, in today's age, probably would like maybe two months, right? Like if you're really trying to do an end-to-end. Back then, it was probably a good 
six months just to just to capture all the SKUs, right? So that's one way. So there's efficiency play there. Um, mm-hmm. There's also the um, effectiveness play, which is ROI, right? So you know, with with social media right now, there's so much that you can do. And that can be overwhelming for a lot of founders, a lot of startups, people with, with limited resources, limited time, time and money. You know, where do you need to be? How quickly do you need to be? Can you test out different channels um, for your customer um, acquisition? With AI now, you know, someone like myself or even founders themselves or any, their teams can now test out different um, ad copy, different uh, channels, different distribution patterns, X, Y, and Z, right? Again, efficiency and effectiveness, and they can actually see the ROI right away versus, you know, so it, it does change my role in the sense that um, I'm spending a lot more, a lot less time, I guess, just kind of doing a lot of taking people's Excel spreadsheets and like really distilling it down to every, you know, like really, really Excel spreadsheets, for instance. So it makes it is so now I could really spend a lot more of my time having those conversations, like I say, pulling out the actual insights. Like what do we, what do we actually know and what do we need to know and how quickly can we get it out to market? So there's, so that's kind of the short, the short term, that effectiveness and the, the efficiency and the effectiveness um, part of it, where it will go. That's anyone's guess because, you know, new models are coming out every, you know, at this point, like at least a month, if you're not lucky, new, new um, wrappers for um, different AI models are coming out. So we'll see. You know, I, I think it is an exciting time to be in, though, because there's there's so much more that can be done and a lot more insights that can be generated that most folks are sitting on and they don't know that they're sitting on that those insights. So that sounds roughly like what I've been observing. And I'm a little concerned with where this might go, because I saw a research study last week that showed that copy written by AI converts better than copy written by humans, essentially across the board. Okay. And obviously this is going to lead to everybody using AI to write their copy. But then my question is, is all copy going to start looking the same? Because there's a lot of humans, there's only six base models out there. Mm -hmm. Um, Are we going into the world where all brands essentially tell you the exact same thing just because it works? The, the my answer is no, because uh, for, for two reasons. One, garbage in, garbage out. I would say garbage in, garbage out, right? So all these models, at the end of the day, they're just tools, right? And it's really about who and how, who's using it and how they're using it that makes them what it is. So yes, there's a, there's a stat that says that, you know, that copy written by AI is that much more effective. What's not included in that spatial study is who they're asking and what are the use cases, right? Mm-hmm. If you if you look at some of the insights, and that's kind of I'm working with a lot of my clients now to really kind of tease that those nuances out, right? What what do we have going into the use of these learning models? So looking at like data and insights and like how solid the how do they know what their brand is, like all those things that again are really in in that study being taken for granted, right? You're assuming that it's a product that works, this product market fit, the audience is receptive, X, Y, and Z, right? So mm-hmm. how do we, what are the mecha- what are the, the components that have to go into that model, right? Mm-hmm. Such that on the, the model could now really understand what it needs to do to bring that copy out, right? So that's one of, on one side, kind of like 
what are the what are the inputs, right? And again, there's nothing sexy about that part of the story, so you, it doesn't get told much in fast company headlines, right? So, like, yes, the they, the company really spent 20 years really, you know, talking to their customer. It doesn't make for a good story. The good story is AI created this and whatever, right? And now everybody thinks it's going to happen, and they anyway. So, so there's that garbage and garbage out. The other part about it, and and which I'm I'm more optimistic optimistic about the whole um, the way things are progressing is that people change, right? You're talking about you're talking at the end of the day, whatever the out the input and the outputs are, it's still content and conversations, really, right? Whether it be product conversations or you know uh, experience conversations that are happening with real people in the world. Right. And those real people in the world, me, you, you know, my wife, my son, you know, all everyone else in the world have nuances from a from expectation, environment, language. Right. The human being is a very complex person, particularly when it comes to convincing them to engage with, you know, whether it be a new new audience or new product or a new company. Right. So there are nuances there. There are a lot, there's a lot more now. Right. So I think that regardless of how advanced the, the language models be, um, become, the, the strength is really on what goes in and who it's being targeted to. So, again, this, the stat says it's effective, but is that same copy, if you take that same copy and present it to a different audience, then that stat doesn't then said, no, it doesn't work, right? So again, it's, it's kind of, yeah, exactly. So that's, that's why I think that the, the, the variables um, on both sides of that language model um, will continue to, to, to fluctuate and evolve and become more and more diverse as efficiencies happen, such that the models also will continue to grow. And I don't know that, I'm optimistic that there isn't a, now everything's running on, on you know, autopilot and, you know, no one does anything. I, I don't even know that. <laughs> Who wants to do nothing? I, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I, I want to do nothing all day. <laughs> I doubt that will happen. Not my personality. But I want to latch on to something you said. You mentioned the word content. And one of the things that I know companies are often advised to do is to produce a lot of content. They're advised to post on all social media, to have a corporate blog and post there. And already over the past... 10, 20 years, it looks like most of that content has drifted towards being kind of useless. Mm-hmm. Right? Most of what companies post on social media is written by somebody who is actually a contractor on Upwork out of the Philippines, yeah. right? uh-huh. not yeah. by anybody who knows anything about the company. Most of those blog posts, 10 years ago, they were written also by people in India or the Philippines. Now I think they are written by Copy AI and other mm-hmm. sort of blog creation software that is AI-based or by ChatGPT. And as these tools progress, it seems like content creation is becoming cheaper and cheaper, mm-hmm. but less and less useful because it's that much farther removed from a person that actually has something to communicate to you. Exactly. Do you think the importance of copy itself will just probably go down because there's so much of it? Or is there going to be a backlash or is it going to continue and basically everything is just going to look like our spam folders? <laughs> um, it, I, I, so all of those. So I, I do think that there is, I mean, we're already kind of there, right? And it's interesting that you mentioned spam folder, right? Um, when email was was 
first coming around, right? You know, I'm old enough to know when, you know, having, having more than one email address was a luxury, right? <laughs> um, you know, you didn't have that problem, right? But then the tools got cheaper and easy and more accessible. So, you know, and the tools and the expertise, a certain level of expertise, right, as it relates to email, got cheaper and more accessible. So you had more people coming into the fold and you had a lot of junk, right? So then some smart people decided, well, now we have a lot of emails, a great thing. We have a lot of information and not all of it is valuable to most of the people. And if you're Google and you want to, and part of your value prop is, um, is that you want to curate things that bring only the right things to people, then you invest in things like spam folders and the technology behind them because you want to curate that so that your customers, your end, um, your, your end user sees more value in it. So that also is something that I think, again, the variables um, on both sides of the, the, the AI models, I think that is also going to change. So we are in the short term, we're already seeing it now, a lot of spam, you know, a lot of um, copy websites that are, you know, put up in like two seconds with all the right SEO and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, those, those websites end up going away. So you are going to see a plethora of that. And I think we're seeing that now. Um, consumers, users get smarter, right? Same way we are with spam folders. And we can kind of tell from a headline, like, oh, this is not a real person. Generally, right? You know, you still get scammed. But um, generally, you kind of get smarter about the tool. So the, um, the same thing is going to happen where um, regular lay people are going to get smarter about um, AI content, whether it be, you know, uh, branded, whether it be uh, a spoof of another company, X, Y, and Z. And then those companies that are invested in the quality of the outputs of those that AI, right? And reaching the right person at the right time with the right information, they're also going to double down because again, that that's factors into their business model. They're going to also double down and create ways, not just AI detectors, because that's great, but you know, that's not AI detection is not the problem. It's the information that comes out of it. But anyway, yeah. So those companies are going to invest even more and you are going to start seeing things like spam folders, you know, for content in different places on websites and such. And, you know, curation becomes a huge, 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 uh, uh, there's a, a place for curation in all those scenarios, right? What are the me mechanics even using the same AI models that, are allowing you to curate it for the, that person so that they don't, they're not hit with, you know, too much content that's not valuable to them. Yeah. And for what it's worth, I am on the curation side of things. We have yes, AI yes, models that analyze things, though our focus is the news, not corporate content for lack of yeah. a better term. Um, and I can tell you, it's impossible to tell whether AI wrote something or not. Anybody who claims otherwise is just mm -hmm. Selling you an AI tool that <laughs> right, but, but, but the reality is no. Uh, a language model that was trained on real text written by human is going to produce text that is indistinguishable from text mm -hmm. written by human. You can occasionally find specific quirks of a specific model and try to detect them. Well, the next iteration of the model is going to eliminate those yeah, quirks. Right, right. So I think the focus needs to be on good quality, bad quality, as opposed mm -hmm. to who wrote this, because otherwise it's just not going to work. I so agree. with that said, I like to end our episodes on the most positive note possible. If you could either predict the rosiest possible future or 
advise people on how to get there, what would it be and what should people do? Yeah, I mean, p- particularly for for founders and um, folks who are are starting companies, I think this is a huge opportunity to to do things that your your limited time, money, and resources wouldn't allow you to do in the past. Right? You definitely shouldn't be spending too much time trying out to different to many tools. Partner up with people like myself, or you know, at least um, uh, uh, read up about it as far as how you can use certain things. It definitely helps to understand your brand, right? Understand what you're trying to do and who you're trying to reach. And I would say that, you know, jump, a lot of people are jumping into content creation, right? You know, I want to be on all the different channels and now I can be all of them at the same time. You don't want to dilute your brand. You don't want to um, reach the wrong customers. You know, at the end of the day, you're trying to convert them into your products and have a, a, a paying um, a customer. So you want to start off by making sure where's this, what is the stage of what you have from um, how you understand what your brand um, value is. Use the tools to, to understand that. And then also understanding your customer. How are you using those tools to understand the people that you're talking to and how, how easily you could reach um, you could reach them? And I, you know, I created there's a tool that I've created that allows you to do that in five seconds. It's an assessment tool. Um, and I'll share with your, your um, audiences um, probably in the in the show notes. But you know, it it definitely my my company, the, the brand sensei, is trying to help people understand the value of AI and how it could be used in an efficient and effective way for growing companies like startups and tech um, tech founders. So sounds awesome. Yeah, please send me the link. I'll include it in the uh, description below the podcast episode. And thank you so much for joining us. We learned a lot today. It pleasured me talking to you, Alex. Thank you. Thanks, Kofi. This has been another episode of the Other Web. Join us next time for more discussions on information, the internet, and everything in between.